I think a materialist approach to things is very, very consistent with uh, my experience in Christian social justice. I feel like the, the deeper I get into anarchist practice, the deeper my faith is getting at the same time. I would hope that you know, securing means of life for all would be something all people of faith would say, oh yes, that's at the basis of what we believe. Those who are most marginalized know the most about the truth, good and the beautiful. To me, it's less that I think building class solidarity is a bad thing, as much as it seems like if you don't attend to things like anti-black racism, um, that's always going to get in the way of building class solidarity, actually. And when you go back, you find that a lot of uh, revolutionary grassroots participatory movements, the, the precursors to what you could call um, the barrio assemblies and these like, you know, grassroots neighborhood organizations, a lot of these were sponsored by the church. What does it mean to say that the Christian tradition is internally contradictory and there are antagonisms there? Um, you're always uh, being faithful to some aspects and betraying other aspects. Welcome to The Magnificast, a podcast about Christianity and leftist politics. I'm Dean Detloff. Oh, and I'm Matt Bernico. Ho, 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 your Christmas elf. It's the Christmas episode, everybody. <laughs> That's right. We've backed our way into it on complete accident. Listen, we did four Christmas episodes last year, and they are just going to have to tide you over. We talk about Christmas in this one, but uh, it is not um, not 60 minutes of Christmas content, so... Good luck. If you want that, you're going to have to go to the channel of our guest, Damon Garcia. How's that for a transition, Matt? Um, I feel like that's pretty professional grade. Uh, Damon Garcia is on YouTube doing some fantastic Christian left videos, especially a variety of them on Advent and Christmas most recently. And we're super grateful to have him on the show. Yeah, it's a really cool conversation uh, about Christmas for sure. We talked about that. We got liberation theology in there. We talk about Christian media. We talk about YouTube. So uh, this one's got something in it for everybody. People who love Christmas, people who love YouTube, and people who love liberation theology. The three <laughs> types of people in the world that definitely exist. Uh, so That's yeah, right. you're going to really dig this conversation with Damon. Um, definitely check out his YouTube channel. Check him out on Twitch. Um, I think uh, in, in the episode, I said that I am too old for Twitch, but I'm going to take it back. I'm I'm going to get into Twitch in 2021. That's my New Year's resolution is oh to become is uh, I'm going to be the Twitch dad. Hey, everybody, it's me. Go to bed. It's too late. I'm going to watch Twitch. <laughs> um, well, all that being said, let's go to the interview with Damon. This week on the podcast, we have Damon Garcia. He's the most famous leftist Christian YouTuber to ever exist. Damon, thank you so much for joining us today. <laughs> Yo, thank you. I'm so glad to be here on the most famous Christian leftist podcast to ever exist. <laughs> uh, I don't know if any of those things could be substantiated, but uh, <laughs> yeah. it doesn't matter. We're cr we're creating alternative facts. We're making for the, the next truth hour. They're true. Yes, <laughs> that, that's true. Okay. Uh, yeah, well, thanks for joining us. Um, well, let's just like dive into this. Uh, we have a few questions we prepared, but maybe we can have like a big, a big freewheeling conversation about Christmas and Christianity and the left and everything else. Yeah. Over the last few years, uh, there have been so many great Christian and like lefty podcasts that have sprung up. Um, we've loved really getting to know everybody in this like weird corner of the internet. It's a very fun thing to sort of make these big connections with folks. Um, but uh, did you know there are also some lefty Christian stuff on YouTube? I, I did not. I did not until I heard about you, Damon, and that's amazing. Um, so this week, we're here talking to you, who runs a YouTube channel called Damon Garcia on YouTube. Um, so we've ended up meeting like, a lot of like-minded people through the Magnificast, and even though we've been doing this for a while, it's always kind of surprising. Um, so where did you first start putting these like leftist ideas together with your Christianity? How does this all fit together with you? Well, first of all, I grew up evangelical in a Pentecostal church. Because my parents started going to a church when I was two years old because they wanted to, like, turn their life around. My parents were drug addicts and alcoholics. And my dad was uh, involved in a gang and everything. And they they heard that when you want to turn your life around, you start going to church. So they started looking for a church and they found one that really specialized in deliverance ministry. And which is involves like deliver deliverance from addictions and um, any sort of issues and even uh, demons at times. And so 
that's uh, what they needed in their life, some deliverance. And so they were learning how to be Christian as I was growing up. And then when I became an adult, I started taking this stuff more seriously because I felt like I was called into ministry. And I um, then entered into some ministry training programs through that denomination I was in. And for me, that meant, okay, if I'm going to like be at some sort of pastor, then I have to really understand the stuff I'm talking about. I have to understand the weight of that responsibility. And so I'm going to actually do my research here. But that resulted in me eventually completely disagreeing with evangelical theology completely. And so I was trying for years uh, to just like make it work and thinking I could change, help change things from the inside, which is definitely something a lot of people have gone through where they'd spend years more way more years than they should have in the evangelical church thinking they could change things and then eventually it got to the point where it was literally impossible for me to stay and i was a youth and young adults minister for a couple years and about to get my pastoral license and then it just it just didn't work at all and so i i left in august 2017 and i had started a youtube channel already my last year there but it was kind of just me saying random stuff and kind of vlogging. And then when I left, I was like, okay, now I could be honest about what I actually believe. And so my channel for a while was just like very generalized, progressive Christianity and vlogging and stuff like that. And so I was doing that for a while. Uh, no, no one was really watching except for a few friends. And then I, um, and I think around 2018, I got really depressed because I realized I should have actually like tried to grieve me leaving that church because I I left everything and I lost like a ton of friends and opportunities and connections and um and I I thought I could just jump right into the next thing and that grief caught up with me so I got really depressed and then I I realized like I need something new here and I remembered that um, liberation theology is something that always inspired me as I was learning about more progressive theologies and different ways of looking at things. And also at the time, I was getting more into like leftist YouTube videos and I found the Magnificast. And so it was like cool to hear you two talk about Christianity and leftist politics in a way that makes sense and in a way that makes it obvious that these two things are connected. And a couple years before that, I was in a sociology class and I heard about Marxism and social conflict theory. And like all of history is just a history of class struggle. And that that reminded me of liberation theology of like God being on the side of the oppressed. And so when I first heard that about Marx, I was like, OK, well, that's obviously true. I don't know what else this Marx guy said, but that's obviously true. And so I just like kind of kept that in my pocket for a couple of years and didn't look further into it. But during that season, I was like, OK, let me look way further into this. And then uh, realizing like um, Marx's theories on alienation made me a little bit more depressed than I already was. And then <laughs> I was able to like kind of channel all that into realizing like I I actually want to talk to others about uh, these connections between uh, more of a liberationist Christianity and liberation theology and um, leftist politics. And so I started making these videos and then I uh, found myself involved in leftist YouTube world and getting uh, to be friends with some of those people. And then my channel started taking off. But I feel like the channel started taking off because I had more of a like clear direction of what I wanted to say instead of just mm. trying to appeal to a bunch of people. And when, when I was able to be like, this is this channel is just for people who are interested in this super niche category of connecting Christian stuff and leftist stuff, then people were like, oh, OK, this is for me. And they started watching. Super fascinating to hear you tell that story. Um, I feel like I mean, that's I think a, a lot of what you said, too, is is been similar for Dean and I, you know, that that uh, taking our religion so seriously that we end up sort of breaking it, I think is yeah. a, a common theme. Um, a really fascinating thing that uh, happens to so many people in evangelicalism and, and you know, in, and it um, 
ends up pushing a lot of people to the left too, right? I mean, you take the Bible so seriously and you want to know exactly what Jesus has to say about the world. And then when you figure it out, uh, I don't know, it's hard to put it all together without thinking about socialism or anarchism or something, right? Um, just a really interesting trend amongst folks in our weird milieu. Yeah, totally. Um, well, I think, you know, we're going to ask you a lot more about left tube and left YouTube later on down the line. Mm-hmm. Super curious about that. I mean, we've had our own taste of that in the podcasting world, making all kinds of friends. And it's really exciting to kind of build those bridges. But yeah, uh, Matt and I have never taken the deep dive into YouTube. So you can help us figure out that wild constellation of stuff going on. For um, sure. But yeah, I mean, I think I'm especially curious about the more about your religious and political journey, right? Because um, mm-hmm. like Matt was saying, it is so, I don't know, it seems like a common sort of narrative of trying to figure out what the heck is going on in Christianity and sort of arguing yourself out of it on accident. Um, mm-hmm. That thing you were saying about like mourning it, I think is really profound and something a lot of people, um, myself included, just have a hard time processing and, and sorting out, especially if you're not ready to like give up your Christianity wholesale or something. And you're sort of in this weird liminal space between being like, well, I don't want to be in that one thing that I was in. Uh, but I also am kind of still stuck with this story that I find really compelling or something. Uh, is there anything about like the left and um, maybe thinking about social justice and that sort of thing that, that helped you find your way back to some of those themes in Christianity or maybe helped you see them anew. I'm always curious to hear that. Like, what is it about discovering the left that kind of reinvigorates people um, looking for something in their faith? Yeah. I, one of the quotes I think of a lot is from, from Martin Luther King Jr. One of his sermons where he says something like um, on the one hand, we are to help the the like the be like the good Samaritan and help the person be in on the side of the road. But we also need a revolution of values and to restructure the system so that it doesn't constantly create so many people be in on the side of the road. And so I I so badly like just want to get that idea in every Christian's head that it's like I think most Christians have this idea of like, yeah, we're supposed to help people in need. That's what Jesus would do. But it's like, let's restructure the system so that there isn't so many people in need going to the church for help. And that's like, for me, um, leftist politics just seems like the natural conclusion to what Christians say they care about, which is like serving people and loving people and helping people in need. And so, it yeah, at this point, it seems... Um, just super obvious. Like I've even noticed, even with liberation theology, uh, talking to different people who are into it, eventually, as they get deeper into it, they stop kind of using the term liberation theology because it just feels like theology. And eventually, also, you you start talking about the ways that your Christianity leads you to be involved in leftist causes And you also eventually stop kind of saying, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian leftist. It just feels like, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. So this is what I do. Or, yeah, I'm a leftist. And so this is what I do. It feels natural. And so now at this point, it seems like you have to do all these weird mental gymnastics to be a Christian right winger. I like completely don't understand how that can happen. And, And but it makes sense when you look at the centuries of propaganda and imperialism and the ways that um I think more Eurocentric theology in seminaries has encouraged that. And now I think, yeah, I'm just continuing as I go deeper into my faith, I go deeper into radical leftist politics, more and more radicalized. And it just makes sense. And so, and there's a lot of people who have happened upon my YouTube channel who constantly say things like, it seems like most of the people that watch me are people who grew up in some sort of, conservative Christian environment, um, left that for some reason or were pushed out of it for some reason, and then found themselves in some sort of socialist politics. And then through that found my channel and then were pleasantly surprised to hear that you could talk about Christianity in a more healthy and responsible way. And so that's been 
really fascinating to see too to really hear, people to hear people you, say that. And I know you two get people uh, that say stuff like that all the time too, where it's like, oh yeah, like I knew Jesus was more radical than my church said he was. I knew this stuff was actually way more powerful and interesting than they ever told me. And so it's really fun to be a part of people's journeys in that way. Yeah, it's such a profoundly bizarre thing. Because on the one hand, I'm still trying to process all of the very bad ways evangelicalism broke my brain. Yeah. <laughs> and then to have people be like, yeah, and you're and your podcast or th- this thing that you said or whatever, help me think about why I want to go back to church. And I have to constantly be like, <laughs> is this good? <laughs> I <Yeah>. don't know. <laughs> um, it is. It's a it's a really interesting, I don't know, even uh, evangelizing, but not evangelical space to be in sometimes. I don't know. It's weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is um, very strange to think of like the past of uh constant like missionary talk of like we're gonna go into um this town and befriend the natives and learn how to live life alongside them and then we're gonna tell them about jesus and like now we realize like how awful and colonizing that way of thinking is but it's also weird now that we're like in these leftist spaces and like living alongside them and befriending them and getting some of them be like, I'm interested in Jesus now because of you. It's like it's happening on accident of like so it's it's funny. I know that there's old Christian minister friends from back in the day that I'm not friends with at all anymore, that in a way I'm like doing what they wish they could be doing in some sort of non-religious community, but I'm not doing that on purpose, and that's not my intention. Um yeah, it's very weird. <laughs> Super weird. <laughs> Also, I'll I'll say uh, this, like, and I think you two would agree with this, too. Like, I'm not trying to get leftists to become Christian. I'm just trying to give people permission. If you so uh, desire to connect your leftist politics with some sort of spirituality, there are so many ways to do it. There's plenty of ways to talk about this stuff that's more healthy and responsible. So here's permission to dive into that. Yeah, yeah, that uh, that word permission, I think, is one that we use quite a bit um as well just i mean it's it is like i mean speaking of liberation theology but it is like extremely liberating to know that there are a whole different type of christian out there um you know (laughs) christians who were involved directly in like socialist revolutions or in you know and antifa or whatever right like Mm -hmm. it's a it's a liberating thing to know that those kinds of christians exist that they're real christians and that like you can you can be that if you want to, right? You don't have to sort of fit yourself into whatever whatever other weird stuff that evangelicalism has for you. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think, too, that, I mean, what's that phrase that people are always saying? Uh, I don't know if this is actually true, if St. Francis really said this or not, but that thing of uh, preach the Gospels <laughs> and when necessary, use words. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't feel I'm doing that intentionally, but certainly, yeah, I share that sentiment of this kind of unintentionality, like, I don't know. You're just trying to live your life and figure out what it means to be a Christian in a world where people are like, you know, starving and hungry and being bombed and all the rest of it. And it's like, well, if that makes you want to talk about Christianity, then that's cool. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm here for it for sure. Um, right. Yeah, it is a bizarre space to be in. Yeah, definitely. And but it's also awesome to see to be able to talk to people who need community to work out the things that they're questioning because I think a lot of us who are on similar journeys can remember periods of our lives where we were absolutely alone in this journey mm-hmm. of questioning and thinking about things differently. And I can definitely remember like a good couple of years of being having no one to talk to about the stuff that I was passionate about and interested in and reading about. And I just had to be by myself and I couldn't tell anyone because nobody would be interested. And now I get to talk about this stuff all the time. So I'm super thankful for that. Mm -hmm. And I'm super uh, happy to provide that space for others to do that, too. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. Um, People might not be interested or they might, you know, be right out against it, too. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's a good point. Um, Maybe we can. uh, I I mean, I'm sure we can kind of continue on all these themes as we keep talking, but maybe we can pivot towards Mm -hmm. some of the Christmas time stuff. It's that season. This episode is going to come out hopefully uh, right before Christmas or maybe on Christmas. God, that's bad planning. <laughs> thought about that. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> it's going to happen yes. right around Christmas, whether you like it or not. Yeah, um, there's 12 lately, days though, of Christmas on the church calendar. Oh, it's true. So it's it's true. Okay. There, as long as you get it out days. before January 6th, we're good. 
<laughs> so much time. <laughs> um, lately, uh, Damon, you've been doing these really cool videos about Advent. Um, I've been really into them. These like sort of radical readings of uh, the the usual Christmas stories, but uh, but with the the good uh, Damon left a spin on them. So tell us how that came together. I know that you did it last year as well, but yeah. um, what is it about Christmas and radical politics that just seem to work together pretty well? Yeah. Well, first of all, I was. I think the the main thing I'm passionate about is like preaching and teaching, and so that's what I was doing in the evangelical church, and I was uh, having a lot of fun doing it and doing it in creative ways, and so. Now it's like I make videos about different things, but I also really like going back to the Bible and um, giving different readings on these scriptures and being creative with it. And so um, I just thought it would be fun last year to go through the Bible passages assigned by the Revised Common Lectionary every day and give a radical reading on them. And so it's... um, and then also like thinking about Advent and how Advent is the season of expectation. And I feel like so many leftists can relate to this season of expectation in the midst of uh, the collapse of an empire, because that's how we're feeling about in relation to capitalism collapsing and expecting socialism. And so uh, and in seeing communism on the horizon, I think a lot of us can relate with that deep uh, hope in the face of hopelessness. And of course, I think a lot of us think about the Magnificat when Advent comes where Mary says that uh, he has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly and uh, give, given the hungry good things and sent the rich away empty. Like that's Advent right there. That's that radical hope. And this season of Advent, this year in particular, because it's always fun to come back to these themes and see something different every time you do. This year in particular, I've been really inspired to realize that um, Mary's hope comes with the absolute hopelessness to the system. If you were to ask Mary, what would you change about the government? She would not mention reform at all. It would be uh, that the powerful are brought down from the thrones and the rich are sent away empty. And someone may hear that and like a progressive Christian may hear that and say, wow, Mary, it sounds like you have no hope. And she would say, oh, I have hope, but my hope is in the lowly being lifted and the hungry being filled. But that's not going to be done by the powerful because the powerful will be, be kicked off their thrones. And so I think a lot of us, especially this year with uh, COVID and the Black Lives Matter protests, A lot of people have woken up to a lot of injustices in the world and also woken up to solutions that we've been peddling over the years that don't work. And so I think we could relate to that um, kind of hopelessness that comes with that hope of being completely hopeless when it comes to reforms and uh, just like being nicer about things or whatever, because we have hope in something larger beyond the system. And I think um, that's, yeah, really what I've been thinking more and more about this year around and realizing that that um, it's abs- that that Advent hope is revolutionary hope that they they did not have any desire to see the Roman Empire get better or treat them better, but an absolute collapse of the Roman Empire. Yeah, that rules. Uh, Extremely cool. Also reminds me that it's good to read the Bible sometimes. Um, (laughs) So I appreciate that for sure. Uh, I mean, maybe this is is probably a good opportunity to talk more about those radical themes in Christmas. This is kind of our de facto Christmas episode. We did like four of them last year, so, you know, we couldn't do another one. (laughs) So uh, you've been roped into the Magnificast Christmas special here to talk about this. Um, Yes. (laughs) You know... Christmas is such a wild holiday because in so many respects, it is so thoroughly co-opted by capital, right? It's it's the the church's liturgical season, but it's also the kind of liturgical moment in the capitalist calendar. Um, and especially here in Canada, like rather than Black Friday after Thanksgiving, we have Boxing Day after Christmas. So it's kind of mm-hmm. doubly um, consumerist. Uh, but at the same time, even in spite of all that, uh, there's all these kind of radical pulses in the gospel. The Magnificat is certainly one of them, right? Um, even the messianic tradition, all its expectation of 
waiting for the the infant Christ, but also waiting for Jesus to return and sort of judge everybody. Uh, you know, it's all part of Advent. Um, you know, how can we maybe think through more radical readings of things in the Christian tradition that do seem so thoroughly co-opted by capital or by empire or by kind of the history of domination? Like, um, you know, we, we talk about this a lot, a lot in the show, but you can never get too many people <laughs> reminding you how to do this. Um, how how do you, Damon, at least find these kind of radical sparks that are still, you know, underneath like <laughs> the embers of, of Christianity that, that have like burned out or something like that? Yeah, I constantly am thinking about the the context of the Roman Empire in relation to these Christmas stories. Like I like how John Dominic Crossan, the, the historical Jesus scholar, talks about how we need to understand the Roman Empire when we talk about Jesus in the same way that we need to understand the context of American racism when we talk about Martin Luther King Jr. We need to understand the context of British imperialism when we talk about Gandhi. Like, taking them completely apart from that context, you can't understand them at all. And so I I think I'm inspired to, to realize, oh, yeah, a lot of the ways that they wrote about Jesus, particularly how they wrote about his birth, was directly subversive uh, to the ways that people talked about Caesar and even Caesar's birth. There was plenty of miraculous birth stories about other people before Jesus, including about Augustus Caesar saying that his mom fell asleep in a temple to Apollo and then Apollo disguised as a snake went into her and then she woke up pregnant and that was Augustus Caesar. And there was also omens and prophecies about this his birth um that he would rule a kingdom that would never end and so the these early christians develop this birth story about jesus that say um that add these extra details that make jesus birth story even more miraculous than any other birth story that happened like this, yes, this is a divine conception, which we have plenty of stories of before, even in the Jewish tradition of a divine conception where they're barren and then they're able to have a baby. But in this story, she's a virgin. Also in this story, um, a God doesn't have sex with her without her consent, but this God uh, gets her consent. Also in this story, um, she doesn't have sex at all. Also in this story, she um, is being chased uh, by Herod's soldiers. Also in this story, um, they wind up in Bethlehem because of the silly mistakes of the Roman rulers having a census at the wrong time. And they don't even realize that they're helping Jewish fulfill Jewish prophecies. And I think there, there's two ways to read these stories. There's the way of real thinking, okay, so they made these stories up in order to communicate, um, what they wanted to communicate about the meaning of Jesus. Or you could say the, everything in the gospel stories happened exactly as they said, but they're wording them in a way to communicate what they want to about Jesus and to communicate this subversive message against the Roman Empire about Jesus. Either way, what I'm extremely interested in is what they're trying to communicate about Jesus. And so I think it's very interesting to see the context and how the original readers would realize, oh, yeah, this is talking about this Christ child, this Jesus is actually um, the son of God, actually Lord, actually savior of the world, which were all titles given to Caesar before Jesus. And then to realize with all these other details to make this an even more miraculous birth story, this has implications for the entirety of humanity, not just a specific tribe, not just a specific religion, not just a group of elites or a specific class, but for all people, peace on earth for all people. And so I think the, the uh, message I think we're supposed to get through Christmas every time we dwell on these themes is that we realize what God is doing in the world is larger than we first realized, is actually for more people than we first realized, is perhaps even for the people that we thought weren't included. And so... I think a lot of us can be inspired by those uh, original radical Christmas messages today. Yeah, I think that's a, a good word. Um, you know, it's been a minute since I think I've really 
read any of the historical Jesus stuff, but uh, John Dominic Crossan is uh, is giving me is giving me all kinds of memories. Thinking yes. back in undergrad, sitting in the library, and uh, yeah, well, it's been a minute since I've read those things, and I don't know how I'd feel if I read them again. Maybe differently. But uh, I know I, I appreciate. I talk about Crossan so much. I feel like I probably got people thinking he's a communist, but he's definitely not. Unfortunately, <laughs> no, definitely not. <laughs> he should be. He should be. But I always remember feeling like um, when I was reading John Dominic Crossan as an undergrad or whatever that this added context to um, the story of Jesus about how Jesus' story is like playing off these tropes of empire. You know, it, it it lends a real ironic tone to the gospel that I don't yeah. think you get otherwise, and a real subversive tone too, right? And and just like you said, right, the the whole, um, you know, using these tropes um, changes the way we think about the world and politics and all this kind of stuff too. But I think the the thing that's always the the most interesting to me is that um, uh, Jesus does Jesus like fills falls into these tropes. They they kind of use these same types of um, narrative devices and stories as you know Caesar or whoever. But uh, but Jesus is like a poor person, right? That's I guess like the most um, interesting part of the whole story, and and maybe what drives it to to be radically different and to give it that like radical edge um, against uh, as something that cuts against empire, right? That Jesus is. Um, He's he's the king. He's God. All of these things, um, and he embodies all of these same narrative tropes as Caesar. But he's also like poor, and it tells you like whose side that Jesus ends up being on, whose side God ends up being on, and that that always ends up being really powerful to me. I don't know. It it does strike me as completely bizarre that John Dominic Crossan is not a communist, given mm-hmm. all of those things. But uh, yeah, but uh, he's just you know he's just too good of a historian maybe to yes. uh, to fall into <laughs> politics or something. I don't know. I know. I asked him once. I oh, I saw him speak uh, about a year ago, and then I asked him. So, what do you think about where people who uh, hear this stuff about Jesus and relate it to socialism, and it encourages them to be a socialist? And he said something like, "Oh yeah, we tried socialism and it failed. We need uh, new ways wow. of talking about this stuff." I was like, "Damn, typical <laughs> old man professor answer to this." <laughs> Well, that's actually a great question, though. So I think one thing that has made me bored with um, biblical studies in general, uh, <laughs> I don't know, that's a weird way of putting it. Um, I had like a, a Bible minor at a Bible college once in an extremely former life. And um, one reason I didn't revisit that stuff maybe is because I feel like there's such a kind of liberalism shot through with a lot of that um, material. Uh, no, and I think that that's why like liberation theology is so fascinating to me because, you know, there's a lot of attention to a certain historical detail in there as well, but it's all for the purpose of like making something useful for revolutionary purposes or kind of stirring up like some energy that's, that's, you know, buzzing around in there. Um, I'm curious to hear a bit more about you uh, and how you relate all that as well. You know, you mentioned liberation theology was this kind of important turning point for you um and you're obviously uh still um invested in in really figuring out what's going on in the biblical text like how do we sort of um negotiate all that really trying to learn what's going on in the bible and also trying to learn uh how that informs or maybe stirs up the revolutionary energies that are in us as well yeah i think i was really inspired first and foremost when i first started learning about this stuff is the way we can read the Bible differently and the whole narrative of the Bible, realizing that the entire Bible is written by and or at least from the perspective of this oppressed tribe under empire after empire after empire. And there is, um, I think, definitely a cry out to God for justice each the whole entire way through. And that's why I said like these days, it's hard for me to imagine how someone could read the Bible and come out a right winger without all this extra propaganda. And so I think it, it becomes when you, when you have this lens of God on the side of the poor and working through the poor and speaking through the poor and also radical leftist politics, there's a bunch in the Bible that starts to make a lot more sense. And even like, even the, the way wealth is talked about in the Bible. Like I think of um, one, one of the passages that were that was in the lectionary was from Habakkuk that talks about uh, the accumulation of wealth and, and it uh, uses an analogy of um, the open mouth of Sheol 
that like swallows everything up. And that's how it talks about wealth, which is complete opposite of if you have more faith then you'll get more wealth. And Habakkuk is talking about wealth is is like as a mouth is wide as Sheol, swallowing us all up. And we cry out to God to rescue us from this um, society that is committed to an endless accumulation of wealth. And so it's like those uh, patterns are all over that thing. Yeah, I love that. Um, I can also I, I feel like as you're speaking, I can sort of sense that uh, that pastoral past that you have. That's also still very <laughs> present. Right. I feel I feel like I'm getting a good a good sermon today. So I appreciate that a lot. Oh, good. Um, thank you. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. Don't give it up. Uh, definitely. <laughs> um, OK, so apart from some of your videos on, on Christmas, you know, you've done a lot of uh, videos that center just reading the Christian tradition through a more radical lens, kind of like we're talking about now. Um, one really great video of yours that uh, Matt and I both have uh, seen and, and also people have like sent to us is a video that you wrote oh, called, wow. or that you did called uh, The God Who Riots, um, which is really neat. I mean, we talk about violence a lot and riots a lot in this podcast and how hard it is to kind of figure out. So in that video, you give some commentary about rioting and politics, but you also give some good instruction on reading the Bible and how uh, synoptic gospels work and things like that. So, I mean, how do you see your channel as maybe uh, bringing together all this biblical knowledge and also bringing together a, a way of thinking critically about the political moments of our time, like uh, borrowing from leftist traditions, borrowing from the biblical traditions? Uh, how do you see your channel as like filling that gap? Yeah, I want to help people really develop a more liberation-oriented spirituality in any way I can. And so I see like, the entirety of church history, it's, it's almost like there's two types of Christianity. The Christianity, it's been called like a Cornell West called it like Constantinian Christianity in relation to or as compared to prophetic Christianity or Frederick Douglass talked about a slaveholder religion compared to Christianity or Soren Kierkegaard talked about uh, Christendom versus Christianity. And it's like throughout church history, there is the type of Christianity that exists solely to legitimize the secular order uh, and its hierarchies and systems of domination. And then there's the type of Christianity that is that resists against those things. And we see both. And I see um, even especially when it comes to colonization, theological developments that were developed in order to justify colonization and then theological developments that were developed to empower people to struggle for freedom against colonization. And so I think theological education involves learning how to sift through those developments, because as you start learning um, theology and church history, it's all together. And so I, uh, for me, I want to be able to just affirm that radical stream that empowers people to struggle for freedom and completely reject that other stream and um, completely be an atheist even toward that conception of God that justifies colonization and um, simply just legitimizing the secular order. And so I think I, I yeah, so I want to help people see that. And then I... I think doing that also realizing that a lot of radical streams of Christianity had to arise as distinct streams like liberation theology only had to come about as a distinct theological lens because of the church constantly siding with the ruling class. And even I, like I said earlier, as you get deeper into liberation theology, this just feels like theology, but it only has to be distinct because of the Christianity all around us is the opposite and sides with the ruling class. And so I think it's like uh, realizing that so many of these revolutionary leftist movements uh, have picked up the ball that the church dropped and just ran with it, that the church has completely failed in its role in critiquing society. And that's why Marx and Bakunin and Kropotkin and everybody else had to get to work because the church weren't, was not doing anything that needed to be done and uh, really looking at society in the way that it needed to. And so for me, the, the like, I've been thinking about this, uh, particularly this Advent, I've, I've realized this too, 
is uh, Jesus' parable about the the two sons, not the prodigal one, but the other one, where he says a father goes to a son and says, go, go work in the field. And he said, yes, I will. And then didn't. And then he says the other son, go work in the field. And he says, no, I will not. And then he does it anyway. And then he asks the disciples who actually did his father's will. And they said the one who said he wouldn't, but did anyway. And he said, yes, in the same way, these uh, prostitutes and tax collectors are going before you. And, um, and so I feel like the revolutionary left is that other son who said no, but ended up doing the will of God anyway. And so much of our church leaders are like that other son who said, yes, I will do what you tell me and then completely failed to do anything that needed to be done. And mm -hmm. so because of that, we, um, what needs to be done in order to fulfill the material kingdom of God of an egalitarian society where everyone's needs are provided for and everyone's, um, where a society where, uh, what is it? The, uh, everyone according to his ability and everyone according to their need yeah, that yeah, is only yeah. <laughs> going to happen because of the left, even though it should have happened because Christians actually fulfilled their Christian duty. But, uh, so that's, that's how I see it now where it's like, I think they're doing what Christians should have done, but we dropped the ball. And so now they're going to lead us to what Christians should have done anyway. That is such a fun application of biblical rhetoric. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really into that. Um, it makes me feel like uh, the Magnificat is so much more important than it is. Yes. Uh, but <laughs> it's rad. I want to be mindful of the time that we have here, and I don't want to like uh, run us down uh, with with tangents, maybe. Okay. So um, let me let me ask a big uh, a big Christian media question, I guess. Okay. So um, during the Halloween months, this is when I think I was really I was really getting into what you were doing on Twitch. I also I, I think I'm too old for Twitch. I think I think that I'm uh, I'm too old for it. But I'm I am 32. And I think that that's just I, I feel like it's uh, I'm crossing a line here where I'm, I might be doing something too youth oriented, uh, <laughs> ruining my dad brand. Mm. Um, but during the Halloween months, I, I did jump on Twitch. I, I watched your channel. I, uh, I partook in the chat and I watched some of these, these very spooky Christian Halloween movies with you and your fans. And it was an extremely funny time an extremely entertaining time. Um, because Christian movies are, you know, notoriously goofy. Um, and you know, you, you and everyone else that was watching had a really great time sort of like riffing on it and like dunking on it. And it was great. Um, so I guess I'm really I'm always really afraid of of this this thing, though, like um, there are all these movies that um, they're Christian movies and I'm making fun of them and they're so hilarious. But um, you and I are both people who are like people who are Christians and we're also making this type of media. And how can we ever be sure, Damon, that we're not we're not <laughs> we're not doing that same thing? How can we ever be sure we're not we're not posting cringe and uh, and and just making this weird like alternate leftist Christian media that will inevitably someday be dunked upon uh, on the internet by other people. Mm. Um, what's the difference between these movies, uh, you know, the goofy Halloween movies and like what, what we're doing or what you're doing on YouTube? Well, I think Christian movies only exist as a result of fundamentalism and fundamentalism only exists as a result of Protestants forming a coalition to compete against modernism and through that saying we have our uh, knowledge over here, which is different from secular knowledge. And we have our education over here, which is different from secular education. And eventually we have our media, which is different from secular media. But then their purpose with that is to use their education and media knowledge to dominate over secular media and education and knowledge, not to exist alongside it with a cool uh, additional unique perspective but to dominate over it. You're supposed to delete Netflix when you uh, sign up for Pure Flix. Like that's how it's supposed mm -hmm. to work. And so I think it's it's especially cringe because their whole purpose is winning a culture war. And that also involves them like straw manning uh, secular education and media and like what non-Christians are like. And that's usually the funniest stuff. Like the atheist in the movie that's like, 
of course, at the end, be like, okay, the real reason I'm an atheist is because when I was a little kid, my mom got cancer and I was really angry at God. And I was like, oh, yeah, of course, this is how all atheists are, I'm sure. <laughs> and so I think we we are a bit different because I think we have a more of a commitment to truth that isn't just about our truth dominating over other people's truths. And I think we also have more of an openness of the stuff that we're saying existing alongside other stuff that other people are saying. That's comforting. Um, <laughs> I think uh, we 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 post a lot of cringe on this podcast, but thankfully it is not because we're fundamentalists. It's just because we are ourselves uh, inescapably yeah. cringe, and that's fine. I can live with that. <laughs> yeah, that's okay, I, I can, too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We could, I, yeah. Yeah. I can live with my social anxieties. I can't live with my, uh, you know, evangelical anxieties, and I'm still trying to bury those. Um, well, speaking <laughs> yeah. of all that, trying to exist in this bizarre media space, we did say we were going to get around to asking you about YouTube, and I think it's about time we do. So there's this weird niche of uh, leftist YouTube that is beyond our comprehension, except as it pertains to an analogy between weird leftist podcasting, I guess. Um, I think I've seen BreadTube is a term that goes around yeah. on Twitter sometimes. Uh, help these hopeless audio hosts of a podcast <laughs> figure this out. Uh, what's going on in that community, and how has your channel uh, been received by other people making left-wing media or, or people making Christian media? Yeah, so I'm trying to think of the timeline. I feel like probably early 2010s, we see, I'm not sure exactly what was before this, but I know I could at least start here. There is the rise of like atheist content, which was also influenced by the new atheist movement. And the atheist YouTube community eventually evolved to the skeptic YouTube community. And then the skeptic YouTube community suddenly got really reactionary as these videos of screaming feminists started to go viral on YouTube. And they felt it was like that same energy of I'm going to be completely against um, Christians trying to stuff values down my throat. And the same way I'm going to be against progressives and fem feminists and social justice warriors trying to stuff values down my throat. And it became really reactionary pretty fast. And then that created an opening of a pipeline that would lead to alt-right content which was like explicitly reactionary and explicitly right wing. And so you had all kind. And also there was a mix of uh, just comedy react YouTubers that would just throw up a cringe SJW compilation number 13 video and react to it and make fun of it. And then um, and so it, they they're created this pipeline on YouTube of people reacting to feminist stuff and or SJW stuff or progressive stuff um, or just talking about how bad it is. And as you would keep clicking on related videos and keep getting videos recommended to you by the algorithm on the homepage, you would eventually find yourself to more further and further right wing stuff. And as and then, like I said, to eventually alt right stuff and even openly white supremacist stuff. And eventually some people were like, OK, this isn't this isn't good that this is so prevalent on YouTube and leading people in this direction. And so some people started to make videos critiquing alt-right talking points. And at the time, there was no one really doing that in a substantial way or even from a perspective that actually tackles their philosophy um, in a really done, well done way. And there's a YouTuber named ContraPoints that really was, uh, I think, the first big one to be able to um, properly attack alt-right philosophy and talking points. And so her channel started to blow up and other people inspired by that those videos started making other, their own videos critiquing the alt-right and reactionary talking points and uh so for a while it was it was kind of loosely called left tube these people who were making these videos from a leftist perspective critiquing the alt-right and then eventually somebody made a subreddit called bread tube which is a reference to peter kropotkin the anarchist's book the conquest of bread and because also at the time there was a meme of like, read the bread book, read the bread book. I think you could go to a website called the bread book and it's just like the bread book, read the download the bread book where everyone needs to <laughs> hop on anarcho communism. And so then bread tube, uh, the subreddit got really big and that led to some extra Facebook groups and Twitter pages and 
um, websites and eventually people started joining in that. Um, and so it just, we had more and more YouTubers who were really trying to create an alternative pipeline to the alt-right pipeline. And now things are way more spread out uh, as you go through the YouTube algorithm and click on different videos. You could still find yourself wrapped up into that alt-right pipeline, but then there's also a, an alternative pipeline of further left videos that you could hmm. get onto as well, which is extremely helpful because there was um, a good couple of years where you could hear some really awful reactionary stuff on YouTube and there was no one on YouTube that could um, provide another argument or another perspective. It's super fascinating how all that has worked out. Mm -hmm. I appreciate that very abridged history of YouTube. Uh, <laughs> extremely helpful. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. So with my you know, stuff, I was so I, yeah, like I said earlier, I started making these uh, videos about like Christian stuff and leftist stuff and actually inspired by your guys's episode on Rosa Luxemburg's essay, Socialism in the Churches. I made a video series uh, for myself going through that essay and as I was, I knew about BreadTube and I was watching those videos, but I felt weird like involving myself in it or posting on the subreddit. I kind of wanted to post on the subreddit, but I was scared to because I legit thought if I did, they'd be like, get out of here, Christian. This is a leftist page. Get out of here. And uh, so I didn't. But then someone else ended up posting one of my Rosa videos in the BreadTube subreddit and said something like, I, I figured y'all needed a little uh, Jesus and Rosa and then I commented, I was like, oh, yeah, I was actually scared to post in here because I don't know how y'all felt about Jesus. And they're like, oh, yeah, we're cool with it. So then I started posting my videos and the BreadTube subreddit and then some other leftist subreddits. I got some confidence from that and uh, some leftist Facebook groups. And so I like eventually like kind of just eased into this community and kind of was seen as like the Christian dude and uh, the left tube world. And so I ended up uh, even befriending a lot of like popular leftist youtubers and it's um so it's interesting because now twitter is so weird for me because it's like two different worlds where it's like i'm constantly seeing everything going on in the left tube world or left tube drama and then there's like progressive christian theology twitter and their whole drama or whatever discourse is going on that day and so it's like <laughs> sometimes every once in a while i'll tweet something in relation to like a left tube discourse or a Christian Twitter discourse. And when I do that, I have to realize like half of my following has no idea what the hell I'm talking about <laughs> because I have both those worlds uh, on my feed. And so, um, yeah, but, it, but it's pretty fun and, and pretty cool. And I feel, feels really great too, to be able to get uh, more and more people who came from just left to bread to world and to be able to be like, Hey y'all, if you listen to podcasts, there's a podcast called the Magnificast that you should check out. And they're like, Oh cool. I never heard of that. Let me check it out. And so it's cool to be able to provide our own little pipeline. Well, that's very kind. Yeah, it is very kind of you. Um, first of all, there's too much discourse. We need to cut down the discourse. <laughs> Everyone should be saying less. I think on Twitter, That's it's so true. important that we do that. Uh, I, for one, won't, won't be the first one to do that, but I think it just is a generally good idea. Um, mm -hmm. I think the, what you were saying though, about, about bread tube and sort of like the openness to, I guess like left-wing folks to religion right now is very fascinating. Cause I think we've had exactly the same experience. Um, for example, like revolutionary left radio is a pretty, popular yeah. leftist podcast and they've been extremely supportive of our work and we've been on their show like two different times and it's very cool um i think i'm just really it's just really fascinating how um i, I mean you know I, you, you bring up Karl marx at church and people are gonna be like oh well he was an atheist but it's uh it's really fascinating to me how that is basically a non-issue for the united states left i mean not completely there's probably there's probably still some uh yeah. some anti-christian or anti-religious tendencies and like fair enough honestly mm -hmm. but uh really fascinating how that's sort of shaken out people just don't really care very much about that yeah it's it's cool to see that that um yeah the, the mostly they're pretty open to it um but yeah i definitely there are some people that uh really don't like me because they feel like you can't you can't be a leftist and religious like it's literally i've seen that multiple times it's literally impossible because you have to be a materialist and that means you're a full-blown atheist. And usually when they're saying the word materialist, it's really like vulgar materialism. 
and um, not even the type of materialism that Marx was talking about. But it's so. So, yeah, that's also makes this whole uh, thing interesting, too, is I'll get sometimes hate from people being like um, leftists saying like, oh, no, you can't be a Christian. That's wrong. And then um, conservative Christians will hop on my comments and be like, oh, you can't be a leftist. This is totally heretical. You're going to hell, blah, blah, blah. And then also because I'm deeply involved in this leftist YouTube world, I'll get like actual Nazis who try to like mess with me in my comments or Twitch or DMs or um, a, a Nazi made a video about me, which is weird. But it's a interesting world to be in. But it's but also I think, yeah, for a good couple of years. Uh, a lot of like literal neo-Nazis felt great about the, that alt-right pipeline that YouTube had for them. And uh, they hate left, left tube and bread tube because it's really made it a lot harder for them to do what they're doing. Yeah, that rules. It's so weird thinking about like uh, media environments now, I guess. Like, I mean, especially under quarantine when all of us are probably spending even more time on the Internet than we already were, which was already excessive. It's uh, I mean, I see to my own kind of personal life, all kinds of people that I'm, you know, um, unavoidably attached to have uh, suddenly found themselves saying all kinds of things I would never have expected them to say. Uh, I don't know if that's a direct result of just being stuck on the Internet too long or or what, but uh it's so important to have other interventions. I mean, podcasting is so weird because it's not as collaborative or not as communal. I mean, you know, we like people send us messages and emails and whatever, and that's great. Like we like to hear from them, but it's not like YouTube where you're kind of uh, like the medium doesn't encourage as much dialogue, I guess. So it just strikes me as really important that people like you are out there and, and that medium in particular trying to do something different. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's very fun. When I first started, there wasn't um, anybody doing talking about Christian stuff and leftist stuff on YouTube, except for found two guys. But they had made like three or five videos and hadn't posted in over a year when I started and they still haven't. But now <laughs> there are a couple more starting to start YouTube channels talking about Christian leftist stuff. But I feel like that was your guys' experience, too. It was like there's no podcast talking about this stuff. And now they're all rising up. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, I think so. It is very good. I'm all about it. Um, please make our niche less niche, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, it's great. Uh, Damon, it, thanks so much for joining us on the show. Um, before you go, though, uh, can you can you plug all your stuff? Where can people find you on the internet? Yeah, uh, you could find me on YouTube at youtube.com slash Damon Garcia. I'm also on Patreon, patreon.com slash Damon Garcia. And then I couldn't be Damon Garcia on everything because Garcia is such a common name. And so I'm on Twitter and Twitch and Instagram at Who is Damon, which is just like a ripoff of my favorite high school band, MGMT, who, who is MGMT.com. But yeah, who is Damon? <laughs> nice. Well, yeah. All right. Well, thanks so much, man. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much for having me on. Like I said earlier, like your, your guys' podcasts allowed me to see what's possible and that a lot of this stuff makes sense when the deeper you go into it in Christian and uh, theology and leftist politics. And so I appreciate um, you guys doing what you're doing, especially when you started and it was uh, probably felt a lot like groping in the dark. I appreciate you guys to keep on doing this and you're making a huge difference. And a lot of people are uh, being able to have space to talk about things that um, at certain points they felt like they couldn't talk to anyone about so I appreciate you guys that's so nice thanks thank you Damon yeah really nice thanks for listening to the Magnificast if you like what you heard you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Magnificast and you really should because once Matt starts his uh, next career as Twitch dad he is going to need some income to fall back on so please do uh, make sure you help feed his family um, you can definitely find Damon, uh, Damon Garcia on YouTube. You can also find us all on Twitter at the Magnificast, who is Damon, etc. All those kinds of things that you just heard. Um, you can send us an email at the Magnificast at gmail.com. Our music is by Amoria Armstrong and our outro is by the Illogical Spoon. See you next week. I don't want to
get up for church in the morning, church in the morning, souls alive. Heaven come to earth and there won't be no church. We'll meet down by the riverside. There we'll swim with all creation. Never get tired, never bored. Don't worry, someday there'll be no dam between us and our Lord. Jackson, keep your hoods up, you keep your hoods up, and you stay up late. Jackson, you keep your hoods up, well you keep your hoods up, and you stay up late. Oh, don't mind, a cold night, but we might mind if you leave too soon. So come on now, it's still early.